Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together. You may be seated, and as you are, open in your Bibles to Genesis 17. As children, we love to sing the song, and my kids love the song, and even little Isaac can sort of mouth the words with me, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. There's something about that for children, isn't there? Comforting in in the notion of someone strong. Uh, That's why that bond with parents, especially dads, is is so great because there's this sense in children, even if they can't communicate that they know this, there's this ability in their parents to provide, to protect. There's a sense of safety and security and and stability there, especially with with fathers. But as we grow older and come into our preteen and teenage years and adulthood, we all sort of reach this crisis, don't we? We move out, we go to college, we uh, move out and make lives of our own, we get married, we have children, we buy our own houses. Sadly, in the passing of parents, in the passing of grandparents, there's sort of this change that takes place as life goes on. I'm seeing our parents and our grandparents and those older than us as invincible and strong, and then we see them get weak and frail and feeble and eventually pass. There's this sense of helplessness for those who have lost parents and grandparents. There's a sense of being alone, isn't there? A sense of hopelessness. Well, in the scriptures, God reveals himself as Father. It's quite telling he reveals himself as Father when we think of children singing, We are weak, but he is strong. Needing that stability, needing that safety, needing that security, that provision, that protection. We see God as this Father figure But sometimes over the course of life, just as what changes with our parents and our relationships with them, different crises, different situations can bring that same sort of disillusionment with God. Whether we look at the world and we see the pain and trials and suffering around us, we look at our own lives or the lives of those around us, we can become cynical. And we can sort of lose that view of God as strong and mighty and powerful. And even though we can still claim to trust him and we still sing he's been faithful, we can come to those moments where we still feel helpless and alone and hopeless, even when we think about God as our father. And today's name reminds us who God is. That unlike our earthly parents, our earthly guardians, our earthly grandparents, whoever you looked up to, those you consider strong and stable and secure, more than anyone in this earth, God reveals himself as El Shaddai, God Almighty. Comes from that combination of words you should be used to by now, Elohim, which means God, and then this word Shaddai, which means powerful or mighty. And there's some contention among scholars and theologians as to what it exactly means because it has connotations of mountains. It has some themes of land. 
Most scholars tend to agree it has this view of whoever this is that is Shaddai being this overpower, a landlord, the god of the mountains that is high and lifted up and exalted. And in English, we just simply have translated it God Almighty or the mighty God, who unlike other comforts, other earthly friends and relations, this God, El Shaddai, God the Almighty, is unchanging. And that same God that you sang about when you were a child and you said he is strong is still strong today. If he was strong in the problems in the world that you faced when you were four and five years old, how much stronger is he now in the circumstances and the suffering and the trials or whatever's going on in your life today? How much more safe are you? How much more stable are you in the arms of this unchanging, eternal Father? Look at Genesis chapter 17. Let's read the first eight verses. Another encounter with Abraham. Seems to all start here, don't we? But this is the first time we see this name for God mentioned. Genesis 17 verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall you be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you uh, into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring and you throughout your generations for an everlasting covenant. To be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. All the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession and I will be their God. What's notable about this covenant that God makes with Abram in Genesis 17 is that we've already heard this before. Back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 is where we have the initial Abrahamic covenant. I will bless you and make you a great nation. Bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So why do we come to Genesis 17 and God has to remind Abram again, and he will do it again. Why do we have to be reminded so much of this covenant? Why the repetition? Why the addition of this? Because every time God makes these promises to Abram, there's this stretch where Abraham's faith is stretched. Where we see these stories where Abraham feels like he needs to take things into his own hands. He needs to deceive and use trickery and use human might and human cunning to accomplish this thing that God has promised him. And God has to remind him time and time and time again that no, Abraham, you're not the one that's going to do this. I'm going to do this. And perhaps in this passage, more than any of the others, God reveals that through this name. He says, Abram, listen to me. This is not going to be your doing and your might and your power. But what does he say in Genesis 17 verse 1? I am God the Almighty. In other words, Abram, this is not your might and your power. This is my might and my power. And I'm the one that's going to do this. Turn over while you're there to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis 28, just a few verses here together. Later on in the story, we have Isaac's blessing of Jacob. 
God fulfilled his promise to Abram, gave him the, the child of the promise, Isaac. And then Isaac also has now fathered Jacob and Esau, and God has chosen Jacob to be the inheritor of the covenant. And here in Isaac's blessing, Genesis chapter 28, verses 3 through 4, listen to what Isaac says to Jacob. God Almighty, El Shaddai, bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples or nations. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave Abraham. One more, Genesis chapter 35. Turn there with me, just a few pages over to the right. Genesis 35, verses 11 through 12. It's God's words to Jacob after he had contended with him and changed his name here to Israel. Genesis 35, verse 11. God said to him, Jacob, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. You see this repetition of, of the same promise that God made to Abraham repeatedly, that God then turns and makes to Isaac, that God then turns and makes to Jacob. And with each passing of this blessing, we have this repeated theme, don't we? And it's interesting that the same name comes up in all three of those instances where God repeats this blessing or Isaac repeats that blessing to Jacob. I am God Almighty. God Almighty is going to do this. The Lord who has all power is the one who made this promise and he is the one who is going to fulfill his promise. It's this constant reminder to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, and to all them that will come after them that God is the one who's going to do this. That that same promise and that same plan and that same power that operated with Abram and Sarah is now going to operate in Isaac and in Jacob and then in the nation of Israel and for all their descendants down to this very day. God Almighty. I am God Almighty. And in these scenes, in these episodes, we see something about this name that reveals God's faithfulness to us. God's faithfulness. That God makes promises, and he is trustworthy to keep those promises. The promises he made to Abraham, the promises he made to Isaac, the promises he made to Jacob, he tells them time and time again, I am going to do this. It's not something that he invites Abraham to do for himself or Isaac to do for himself or Jacob to do for himself or by himself. But God tells them what? Again and again, I will make a nation out of you. I will bring nations from you. I will bring kings from you. I will give you the land. I will do this because I am God Almighty. I have all power and I am faithful to do what I say I'm going to do. It also shows us, number two today, God's power. God's power. This name reveals his might and his power to us. God can make these promises, and God can be assured that he's going to fulfill these promises because he has the power to do what he says. Um, you can turn back, since you're in Genesis, turn back to Genesis 18. Genesis 18, verse 14. This is Abraham talking to uh, Abraham and Sarah, or God talking to Abraham and Sarah. And when he made this promise to Abraham, Sarah was inside the tent, remember, and she laughed at him. 
Because they're so old and God is promising them children, she laughs. And the Lord responds in Genesis 18, 14, Is anything too hard for the Lord? The rhetorical answer, of course, is no. Nothing is impossible. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 17, the prophet recording the words of God says, Ah, Lord God, you've made the heavens and the earth. With your hand, you are the creator of heaven and earth. You're the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth. And then comes this logical conclusion. Nothing is too difficult for you. If you're the sovereign creator of everything that there is, seen and unseen, if you're the possessor of heaven and earth, as we heard last week in Abram's confession, then nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing is too hard for the Lord, El Shaddai, God the Almighty. In Psalm 115, verse 3, we read this this morning in our call to worship. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. You circle that word, underline that word, remember that word, all. God does all that he pleases. Again, in Psalm 135, Psalm 135 and verse 6, whatever the Lord pleases, he does in heaven and on earth, the seas and in the deeps. Nothing is too difficult for God. Nothing is beyond him. And with that comes this assurance that he will do all that he pleases. And he does all that he pleases. And you understand this is the very power, the might, that undergirds the faithfulness. Because we can trust that God is faithful to do what he says he's going to do because all power is his. There's certainty in his promises. There's certainty in his faithfulness because of his power. As you read those verses from the Psalms, don't interpret that to mean not just that God can do all he pleases. You see that? Sometimes we like to twist the verses without really thinking we're twisting the verses. We say God's in control. He can do all that he pleases. That's not what the verses say. He does all that he pleases. He can and will do everything that he promises. I think sometimes we think of God Almighty and we sort of translate in our, our heads to God the mighty, which he is. But there's a big difference in just God the mighty and God almighty. All power, all control, all rule, all authority, all sovereignty belongs to him. One of my favorite preachers and theologians, Dr. R.C. Sproul, said there is, if there was one maverick molecule in the universe... And God would not be sovereign. There are no maverick molecules. There are no maverick minutes or seconds. There are no maverick thoughts or feelings or actions. But God in his sovereignty and his control is in power over all things. Number three today in this name we see God's protection. He's faithful we know he's faithful because he has all power to do what he says. And what he says is for our protection. Psalm 91 verse 1. We read this last week about the most high God, El Elyon. He that abides in the shadow of the most high. Or he that dwells in the secret place of the most high. Shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. He that dwells in the fortress and the refuge 
of El Elyon, God Most High, also dwells in the shadow and the security and the protection of El Shaddai, God Almighty. To know the one true and living God, the Most High God, by faith, to know him as the Mighty One, to know him as the Almighty One, verse 2, Psalm 91, verse 2, is to know this God as our refuge and our fortress, a safe place where you can rest, where you can trust, where you are safe. And I want you to contrast that to how we normally think about power. In our primary season, we've just entered into this past week with the Iowa caucuses and the upcoming New Hampshire primaries. And if you watched any of the dreadful, dreadful debates that we saw, you see the earthly vision of power. And the upcoming election, as important as it is, I hope you vote, as important as those things are, you see the earthly definition of power. Who can get the leg up? Who can say the right thing at the right time and get the right soundbite to get the most votes? Who says the wrong thing at the wrong time to get the wrong soundbite to lose votes? Who can throw the most mud at the other candidate? These are our earthly visions of power. We look around the world and we see oppression and war and war crimes and we see the earthly vision of power. And isn't that what we often think of when we think of power and might and strength? We think of oppression Arrogance and pride. Not so with God. This one that we're introduced as the Almighty. This one that we're introduced to as the Most High God. In that very next verse, to know Him as the Almighty, to know Him as the Most High, is to know Him not as a dictator, not as a tyrant, but as a refuge and a fortress. To truly know God's almighty power is to know him as a place of safety and protection. In all of this, we see a God who makes promises, who makes covenants. We see a God who is faithful to do all that he promises and all the covenants that he makes. We know that he's able to do it because he has all power and all might to do it. And we know that those promises for his people equal our protection because he is our refuge and our fortress. All of that revealed in this name, El Shaddai, the mighty God. I know that in a room like this, with as many people as there are, that there are needs that we came in here today with. They might be unknown to the person next to you. It might be needs that you've not shared with anyone except maybe your spouse or someone close to you. There's a burden, a doubt, anxiety, fear, exhaustion, mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. Maybe it's not you. Maybe it's a loved one. Maybe it is the person sitting next to you and you know it or you don't know it. Maybe this person sitting in front of you or behind you, a friend. Something that we came in here today that is beyond your control. And there's uncertainty. And there's confusion. Perhaps this morning, believers, it's a besetting sin. An ongoing temptation. Troubling thoughts. Maybe it's just good old-fashioned unbelief. I want us to think this morning of this God who makes promises. A God who makes promises and then backs them up with his own power and his own might. 
A God who protects his own by that same sovereign power that enables him to make the promises and keep the promises. A God who is absolutely and totally and completely faithful. Regardless of what burden you're bearing today. In those very burdens, in those trials, in that suffering, in that pain, whatever it is that you brought in here today with, you can say God is absolutely powerful and therefore he is absolutely faithful. Turn with me to Matthew 29 as we ask the question, what does this mean for me? I'm sorry, Matthew 10, verse 29. Matthew chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 29. What does this mean for me? God's faithfulness, God's power, God's protection, these very lofty spiritual ideas that we, they, we throw out there a lot. But what does it mean to me as an individual believer here this morning? Matthew 10, verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. I love this tender word from Jesus. God cares for the lilies. God cares for the sparrows. The smallest bird, the smallest flower. God clothes them in beauty. God gives them food. God takes care of them. And then this question, are you not worth more? To your father than sparrows. And as much love and care as he gives to those sparrows, and as much as one, not one can fall to the ground without his knowledge and his control, are you not worth more than them? And Jesus says here, the very hairs of your head are numbered. And I, I think that's quite literal. But if you think about that being literal, how much more is God's knowledge of you? Down to your thoughts and your heart and your soul. How much more does your heavenly father know you? And then even more remarkably, how much more does your heavenly father love you? And how much more faithful can we trust God to be for us if he is that to his creation? Whatever need, whatever burden, whatever anxiety, whatever stress, whatever load you come bearing today, know that God, the almighty El Shaddai, is faithful and he's powerful and he is protecting you. And not one thing can happen to you apart from his knowledge and apart from his sovereign control and command. There are no maverick molecules. There are no maverick moments in your life apart from his sovereign will and command. He does all that he pleases. And we say, how do we know this? How do we trust God's faithfulness to meet my needs? Well, because he's met your greatest need. Number four today, this name reveals God's salvation nothing is too hard for God he says in Genesis nothing is too difficult for him he tells Jeremiah he is El Shaddai God Almighty I love where we see this phrase turn up again when we come to the New Testament the Gospel of Luke Luke 137 this is what the angel tells Mary nothing will be impossible with God. If you were paying attention last week, uh, God, um, the most high God, 
It's, it's interesting that when the angel appears to Gabriel, he uses that term for God, the most high God, just like he did with Abram and those promises. Same scenario, same theme. And then we have this reminder too. He might not use the name El Shaddai or God Almighty, but he uses this idea, nothing shall be impossible for God. With Mary who has these questions, how can that be? I'm a virgin, how is this going to happen? The power of the Most High shall come upon you, the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you, and you will bear a son. Nothing is impossible with God. The same God who made those promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob The same God who created all things and owns all things, of whom Jeremiah says nothing is too hard for him. The same God who does all that he pleases for his glory and for his his people makes this promise to a young virgin, a child, a son, who will live and who will die and who will rise to be our Savior. And just as he says to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, I am El Shaddai, I am God Almighty, and I will do it. He says to Mary here, I will do it. When it comes to our salvation, we're all little legalists, I think. It just comes naturally. When it comes to salvation, eternal life, and heaven, and what what is required of us to go to heaven, I think we all turn into little legalists because we immediately think, what good thing must I do? Isn't that how we just naturally think as human beings? Nine out of ten people out on the street, if you ask them what it takes to go to heaven, how many of you ever participated in the faith evangelism program, F-A-I-T-H? Anybody? Am I the only one? Okay, well, that's fine. There (laughs) There was a key question you would ask someone. What, in your personal opinion, does it take for a person to go to heaven? And you're sort of trained to hear these answers as a good biblical answer, faith alone, or a faith-slash-works answer, faith plus something I do. Or just a completely works answer, something I do. Or just a false answer completely in terms of another religion or a false worldview. Nine out of ten people, I guarantee, unless they know the gospel, they're saved, they understand that faith alone and Christ alone is what saves, this is just what we naturally think. What do I have to do? What good thing must I do to gain heaven? Because it's got to be up to me, right? That's the way we think. It's got to be up to me. There's got to be something that I do and contribute to this. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus met such a man, a rich young ruler. Luke 18 verse 18 tells us. And this rich ruler asks the same question of Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, as if to say, is that the question you want to ask? (laughs) Are you sure you want to ask that? What what good thing must you do? Jesus says it's easy. Keep the law. Be perfect. Obey God. Now Jesus wisely starts with the second table of the law. He says, you know the commandments. Love your father and mother. Don't kill. Don't steal. Don't commit adultery. All those things. And the guy says, oh, check, 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 check. I'm good to go. I'm good to go, Jesus. I've done all that since I was a child. And then Jesus goes to the very first commandment. And he tells the man, okay, go and sell all that you have and give it to the poor. And come follow me. And it says the man went away sad because he had great riches. 
He thought he was good to go. He thought he was perfect. If the question is, what good thing must I do? Jesus says, you know what you're supposed to do. Obey the law. All this and have no other gods before me. But the man clearly failed in the first commandment. And James says to fail in one aspect of the law is to fail in every aspect of the law. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. So it's the wrong question. The theme of this really comes, though, at the end of this passage. The closing scene here is where the gospel really is. Jesus says it's difficult for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. He says it's, it's more difficult for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. you imagine that? It's a bizarre picture. But Jesus says that's how hard it is. Now his disciples are distraught. Some of them might have been wealthy before. Certainly Matthew had been wealthy. Tax collectors had been wealthy. Maybe they knew wealthy people. And they're kind of confused by this. Jesus, I thought you came for the rich and the poor. And they say in verse 26 to Jesus, distraught, well, who can be saved, Jesus? You make it sound like it's impossible. And Jesus says in verse 27, you're exactly right. It is impossible. It is impossible for man. But with God, all things are possible. The same message of salvation that came to the patriarchs, the same message of salvation that came through the prophets that came to Mary now comes in the voice of this Savior Jesus who says, if we're talking about salvation, it's impossible for you. But nothing is too impossible for God the Almighty. Maybe you're here today and you think yourself to be unsavable. And maybe you've said to yourself, God would never have me. I'm beyond hope. I'm beyond saving. I think God would say, okay, Abram. Okay, Sarah, laughing in the face of God. Listen, rich young ruler. You think this is up to you? You think this is up to you? God does all that he pleases. And he wants to remind you today that he is El Shaddai. The gospel doesn't come and say, the power is yours. The gospel comes and says, the power is God's. And so the question isn't, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? The question is, what good thing has God done to give me eternal life? The God of the impossible stepping into time and space in the person of his son, Jesus, to seek and to save that which was lost. And the only thing he bids you bring to him today is your sin. The only thing he demands of you, bring me your sin. Not good works, not your righteousness, not your performance, not your checklist. The invitation to you today, Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, is this. Come to me, all who are heavy burdened and who labor, and I will give you rest. Come to me and you will find this refuge. You'll find this fortress in this mighty, most high God. 
And if God was able to open barren wombs, to give children, to raise up nations, if he's able to give this Savior to us, listen, this morning he's able to save you. And he's faithful, and he's powerful, and he's almighty enough to do it. Believers this morning, whatever need, physical, emotional, mental, believers who feel lost, believers who know of unbelieving loved ones, lost children, lost parents, lost grandparents that you're praying for today, Believers who come in today filled with fear and anxiety and doubts. God would remind you today that he is God the Almighty. And he asks you today, am I not able? Isn't he able? Can't he do it? Where is your faith? James says you ask not, or you have not because you ask not. I think sometimes we're so scared by the prosperity gospel, and we should be. The false gospel, health, wealth, and prosperity in Jesus' name, claiming and naming things. Of course, that's a false gospel. But sometimes I think it keeps us from praying for things. It keeps us from asking for healing, from asking for deliverance, for asking things of God that we know he's able to do because somehow we feel like we're drifting into that prosperity gospel. Now, I'll tell you where the prosperity gospel is wrong. The prosperity gospel is wrong in demanding things of God and expecting things from God because of something I say or the faith I bring. The Bible does not condemn that we ask. The Bible does not condemn that we plead with God and request from God. But the Bible does say this is not about your faith. This is not about your power. This is not about your might. It's about the, 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 the object of your faith and the object of this power. Look to God, ask of God, place your faith in God, make requests of God. Paul says bring all your anxieties and fears. Make your petitions known to God with thanksgiving. Maybe today you need to ask again in faith. Of course in submission to God's will, in submission to God's plan, but he doesn't forbid that you ask. Healing, deliverance, a sound mind, restored relationships, lost loved ones, prodigals. Can he not do it? Cry out to this mighty God today, ask and seek and knock. I think it's remarkable that when we think about this name El Shaddai, the mighty God, you know what book of the Bible it's used the most in? The book of Job. That in all of God's suffering, all of Job's suffering, and all of Job's trials, and, and all of Job's pain, the name that is used for God the most is God Almighty. And it's what prompts Job to make this initial declaration in Job 1.21. The Lord gives, and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Regardless of your circumstances and your trials and your suffering and your pain today, whatever he answers you when you ask, whether it's yes, no, maybe, later, whatever it is, whether the Lord gives or whether the Lord takes away, be resolved to worship him 
and to remember the certain promise that he made. That whether he answers all of your prayers in the way that you think he should, in the timing that he should, he has made this promise and he will keep it. John 10, 29, my father is greater than all and no one is able to snatch you out of his hand. Romans 8 does not promise the absence of trials and tribulations and sword and famine and nakedness. It doesn't promise the absence of those things, but it does say we are more than conquerors in those things. It doesn't promise the absence of pain and trials and suffering and tribulation and death, but it does say in the midst of those things, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. My Father who is greater than all will keep you. and No one is able to snatch you out of his hand. It's good to know because in Revelation chapter 1, we see this name used again. As the risen Lord Jesus appears to John on the Isle of Patmos. In Revelation chapter 1 verse 7, he says, I am the one who lived and who died. I am the one who evermore lives. And in verse 8, he reveals himself to John as the Almighty. And the warning is clear, isn't it? The Almighty is coming. God, El Shaddai, the Almighty is coming to judge. And the question for you today is, would you not like to know this coming judge, the Almighty, as your refuge and your safe place? And your shepherd. This God knows his sheep. He saves his sheep. He keeps his sheep. And not one of them will perish or be lost. And so believer today, whatever burden you're bearing, whatever need you bring, whatever hurt there is, know that it cannot separate you from the love of Jesus. And it cannot snatch you from the Father's hand. There is your certainty. There is your security. There is your safety in the strong arms of this Father who will never tire or grow weary. How many of us need to hear this simple reminder today? I am weak. But he is strong. Right where you are in your seat, um, there's, there's needs and there's burdens, named and unnamed. If you have a, a, a burden, a need, any of those things I mentioned, would you just slip up your hand right now? Everybody's looking. We're not doing the head bowed, eyes closed. Do you have a need, a lost loved one, lost friend, lost coworker, physical, emotional? Keep them raised. Raise, keep him raised. Something personal, something with someone you know. Everybody's doing pretty good then. No needs in the place today. I want you to look around at those, those hands that were raised. And as we sing the song, as we close in prayer today, um, just be praying for those needs. And maybe on the way out today, ask, what can I pray for you about? What was the need? If they want to share with you. If they don't, just offer to pray anyway. And just lift each other up to the Lord in prayer. There are needs and there are burdens that, that we bring into this place every week that we like to keep to ourselves. We're proud people. You didn't raise your hands. You're proud people. You have needs. You have burdens. And the Lord invites you to bring them to him. 
And he says, come, I'll give you rest. I'll be your fortress. I'll be your refuge. That's the promise of God the Almighty to you. Ask him. Plead with him. Request of him. But at the end of it all, rest in him. He is God Almighty and he is for you. Unbelievers, if you do not know this mighty God, know that he is coming one day as your judge. But you can know him even now as your friend and your shepherd and your refuge if you'll turn to him in faith and repentance through his son, Jesus Christ. He will have you, he will receive you, and you too can know this rest in the mighty God. Let's pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you are mighty. You are almighty, perfect in your power and your splendor, your majesty. And God, in the midst of that perfection and that might and that power, you invite us to come. You invite us to bring our needs to you. God, for believers in here today, I ask that you would comfort our hearts by this certain promise that our salvation and our sanctification, happiness, joy, meaning, purpose does not depend on us or what we do, but it depends on you. You are the one keeping us. We cannot keep ourselves. God, for unbelievers here today, I ask that you would prick their hearts by the word, by the Holy Spirit's power, even right now, that you would convict them of their sin, make them aware of their unbelief, remind them that you're coming one day to judge the living and the dead, and no one will escape, but they can find a refuge in Christ today. Bring them to faith and repentance in him through his death and resurrection, even as we sing and pray. God, encourage us all by your word. Strengthen us by your Holy Spirit. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.